Mm-hmm. Hello, friends. It's Saturday. That means it's another episode of Occam's Razor with your host, Dan Butterfield. There's no Panner Danny specific affinity group or groups on this program. By design, Occam's Razor allows the facts to dictate the narrative, not the other way around. We don't cherry pick facts just to drive some agenda on this program. The natural consequence, the agenda-driven narratives of the so-called mainstream media would be called into question, not your intelligence. You're not going to be told what to think. You're going to be trusted to think for yourself. What you will get on Occam's Razor, insights available nowhere else. If you'd like to reach out to me, I can be contacted via email at orbydb at gmail.com. That's O-R-B-Y-D-B at gmail.com. That's six simple letters. Easy peasy. Friends, there's no better time to expose the youth of our country to critical reasoning than in their high school college or college-age years. So I encourage you, have young people come join the program. No spin, no agenda, just pure critical reasoning. A skill set your kids can draw upon for the rest of their lives. Check out my website at danbutterful.com. Folks, the only way you can take back the power from the mainstream media is through information. And make no mistake, mistake about it. If you don't challenge the power brokers, they're not going to change of their own volition. Again, that's danbutterfield.com, where we do the work of the fourth estate. Well, today, what are we going to talk about? It's the uh, 22nd of August. What's the most important thing out there? It remains COVID-19. And it remains COVID-19 because the liberal media is not going to relinquish this. They believe they finally found something that they can uh, hang Donald Trump on. They've tried Russian interference. That didn't work. They tried the Stormy Daniels campaign finance issue. That didn't work. They even tried to go as far as to impeach him on abuse of power regarding the Ukrainian Security Assistance Initiative. In fact, if you go to my website at danbutterfield.com, I lay out the case on my impeachment suite that Donald Trump didn't do anything wrong. He actually upheld the law. But that doesn't stop the liberal media, that doesn't stop Democrats from trying to get rid of Donald Trump. And they think they've got something that will stick. That is the coronavirus. And they're not going to relinquish that narrative. I mean, you look how often that Donald Trump tries to change the narrative. He's shot down every time. He's got a new... Uh, uh, COVID-19 czar, Scott Adams, and he's tried, and he gets shot down. You're not allowed to bring any new points, any new talking points, because that would take the narrative away from liberal media, and they are not going to allow that. Again, I get back to the fact that knowledge is power, and the power brokers out there, they're not going to change of their own volition. They're not going to relinquish what they believe is the, is the uh, measure that they have or the, the tool they have to take down Donald Trump. And I've talked about this in this program. It's on my coronavirus suite uh, at com. And what I talk about is that the economy was too robust going into the 2020 election that any Democrat thought they had a chance. That's why Hillary Clinton never entered the Democratic primary uh, presidential election, because she knew the economy was too robust for her to take down Donald Trump. Again, it's all been about taking down Donald Trump. The problem going forward here is there's a lot of energy in the system. And I talk about energy, and I've talked about it on numerous occasions on this program. Energy can be good or bad, but the problem with energy is oftentimes it's not controlled. We go back to 2008. We go back to the financial crisis. Financial crisis, you would have thought, would have led to uh, many of the financial institutions that brought about the crisis to be punished, that laws would be implemented that would curtail their uh, malfeasance. That's not what took place. You had the energy in the system, and what happened? President Obama took that energy, and he used it to create Obamacare. 
That's the issue with energy. When you have energy, it lowers the barriers to change. And this is, I talk about this in, in a couple of my ebooks. And it's how does a con man get away with conning somebody? They use energy. If there's no energy, you can't have the deception. And that's what the problem with the energy today is. The energy today can be used against Donald Trump. Because the narrative is controlled by the liberal media, and they're not going to relinquish that control. And therefore, that energy is out there. Do we know how that energy is going to impact 2020? No, we don't. And I, this is the, the kind of conundrum, is that I can't foresee how that energy plays out. It could benefit Donald Trump, or it could be used against him. That's the problem with this energy. It's willy-nilly. It's like a power line that's been brought down in a storm. That live wire is going everywhere. So how do you control that energy? And it gets back to, you've got to control the narrative. And that, it, it seems circular argument, but that's the reality. If you do not control the narrative, then the liberal media can force the discussion to be all about coronavirus. And they've already tried to paint Donald Trump as being uh, a villain in this, that the federal government didn't do enough. Well, on my, in my suite in the coronavirus, I talk about the states versus federal responsibility. It's the states that drove this. In fact, the states had to drive this. I think Donald Trump did the right thing in giving control to the states. Why? Because each state has its own demographics. It has its own constraints. It has its own resources. To apply some federal cookie-cutter solution doesn't make any sense. It would be ineffective. And you would have had the governors railing against that anyway. And so I think Donald Trump did the right thing. But because the, the president does not control the narrative, what you're going to have is you're going to have the liberal media paint him as the villain. They're going to do everything they can to sequester any other topics from coming to the floor. Why? Because they believe they have something to finally take out Donald Trump. And do they? Again, like I said, I can't see with any clarity where this energy goes. In its current state, because liberal media controls the narrative, I think they have the control of the energy as well, to a degree. As I said, I can't, I'm not, there's no clarity going forward on that, where that energy will go. But I do know that energy is dangerous. Because, as I said, that live wire, you don't know where it's going to strike. And with this coronavirus the COVID-19-centric world that we're living in. Donald Trump has tried his best to try to change the narrative, and he hasn't been able to. And I don't think he's going to be able to, because I don't think you can have a conservative narrative. I talk about this in my uh, e-book, False Narratives. False Narratives is uh, a book that really discusses this media landscape and the fact that you have this imbalance in the media landscape that is so one-sided. And what that means is that only the liberal media can create false narratives. Why? If you try to create a narrative from a conservative perspective, you're going to be shot down. The liberal media has the megaphone. They will shoot, uh, shout down any narrative you put forth if it's from a conservative perspective. Doesn't mean that the liberal narrative can't be challenged. No, I think it can. But again, you have to do it through objective reasoning. And that's what my Corona Suite is all about. It's taking this issue of the coronavirus and using 
problem solving, root cause analysis to understand what is at stake, what's at play, what are the facts, how do they, they, they pan out. And the reality becomes that if we are trying to protect the American populace from COVID-19, isolationist policies should never have been the policy of choice because isolationist policies only are delaying action. So those people who are unhealthy at the start of this remain unhealthy. And from a statistical perspective, what you get there is that it's additive. Every day, every hour, every minute, every second that the coronavirus is not eliminated, that means that vulnerable population is at risk. And their statistical risk continues to go up with each passing second. And it's, this comes down to some of the notion of chaos theory and entropy, energy, all these things. But isolationist policies are not being uh, dismissed. They're not being dismantled. And that is how you can control the narrative because the liberal media has created a false narrative, a lie regarding isolation. They say isolation can eliminate the coronavirus. Well, we look at this state. Coronavirus isn't being eliminated by isolation, and it never could be. And it couldn't be because of the dynamics of that pathogen. That pathogen is more akin to the flu. How do we handle the flu? We don't handle the flu through isolationist policies. So, as I said, there's energy in the system. How it plays out, I have no idea. I really don't. So I'm perplexed by this. But I do know that if the Trump administration actually goes after the narrative and changes the narrative to to an alternative narrative about isolation not being a cure or not being abil- uh, having the ability to eliminate the coronavirus as it's being purported by liberals, then you can change the narrative to how do you protect the American public? You can only protect it through herd immunity. And this is, this is not up for debate. We know that the uh, elimination of the virus has not been done by isolation. The flu is not done by isolation. And we should equate the two. And so when we look at the flu, the flu vaccine is not the answer either because the flu vaccine is 40-something percent effective. You get 160 million doses out there each year, only 40% effective. It's not eliminating the virus in and of itself. What eliminates it is herd immunity. And again, here's another lie. The other lie is this, that a vaccine is the, the silver bullet. Well, a vaccine gets rid of the virus through herd immunity. We starve the virus to death of viable sites. That's what a vaccine does. That's what it's predicated on. And no, by the way, we don't know how these vaccines are being concocted. We don't know if they're live strains or dead strains. Therefore, we don't know if the most vulnerable can actually be immunized using whatever vaccine comes to the market. Again, another lie. But it's all these lies are predicated on isolation being the solution. And isolation was never the solution, could not be the solution, because it does not eliminate the virus. And every day that you do not eliminate the virus means the unhealthy population, the vulnerable population, is at risk and becomes more at risk. It's just a numbers game. It's a statistical probability. We should have been approaching 
the coronavirus like we approach the flu. Herd immunity. It's our only solution. Now, I'm going to demystify what herd immunity is. Herd immunity is simply enough of the population contracts the virus, gets better. What they do is they become blockers, inhibitors, for the virus to continue to, to travel through the population. I had uh, the coronavirus, I believe, in late February, early March. That means that the people I come in contact, I can't have the virus pass to me, therefore I can't pass it to anybody else. I become a blocker. I protect the vulnerable population because they can come in contact with me and they will not get a negative outcome. That's what herd immunity is about. That's how a vaccine actually works. It works to promote herd immunity in a population to the point where there's enough people who are uh, resistant, immune to the virus, that the virus can't spread. And therefore, the virus starves itself to death. And I think that, I mean, I, I believe that the flu actually starves itself to death due to herd immunity, not because of the summer months. And I have an, an article that talks about that in the coronavirus suite. Is that really, we're probably looking at herd immunity being the end of the flu season, not the summer months, that the summer months are merely coincidental. Well, we should have approached this pathogen in the same way. Anthony Fauci should have gone down the path of uh, herd immunity immediately. Why? Because we knew the transmission rate of the coronavirus was on par with the flu. Well, how do we address the flu? And this is, again, these are talking points that you're not going to get to if all you're trying to do is defeat the liberal narrative, if all you are doing is defeating the liberal, liberal narrative, you lose. They will continue to control the narrative. And if they continue to conter, uh, control the narrative, they will have a better chance of controlling the energy. And that is the danger for Donald Trump in 2020. As I said, I don't know where that energy is going to go. I don't know who it's going to strike negatively. Should it, be, uh, should it strike Democrats negatively? Yes, if you can change the narrative. But that's the big if. You can't change the narrative by trying to defeat the talking points generated by the liberal media. You have to change the entire narrative. You have to say isolationist policies don't work. Well, what does work? Herd immunity. So again, it gets down to problem solving, which we do on this program all the time. You have all these constraints. No vaccine. Mobile society. Unhealthy population, not getting any healthier. Summer months, doing nothing to this virus. You've got upcoming flu season. You've got a transmission rate on par with the flu. If your goal, if your goal, the problem that you identify is to protect the American population, the solution is isolate the most vulnerable at the same time concurrently. Then you have to go out and create herd immunity. And without a vaccine, that means that the general populace has to take on that burden. And there's a risk there. Yeah, there's a little bit of risk there. But if you don't do that, you're not eliminating the virus from the population. Therefore, the most vulnerable remain at risk. And each day, statistically, they become more at risk. And that's what you have to have an honest discussion, I think, with the people. And that has not occurred. That there is some risk if the general population contracts the coronavirus. But it's Americans protecting Americans. And that's how I would phrase it. Americans protecting Americans. We go to war. Americans protecting Americans. So we sacrifice some, some lives for the greater good. And the greater good here is to eliminate the coronavirus. And the way to do that 
is through herd immunity. And so it's, it's this circular argument. But it's all predicated on objective reasoning. It's not based on some agenda to get rid of Donald Trump. And again, I've talked about this. This is another article on the suite that isolation policies do satisfy solving one problem and the constraint that goes along with that problem. That is, if you want to get rid of Donald Trump, sour the economy. Isolation works for that. doesn't work for anything else. Yes, it works for certain pathogens like SARS and Ebola. That's the appropriate solution to apply to those pathogens, not to a pathogen with the transmission rate on par with the flu. No, you just don't do that. But isolation does satisfy one problem, that is getting rid of Donald Trump, or at least lowering the barriers to getting rid of Donald Trump. As I said, the liberal media has been out there trying to get rid of Donald Trump since day one, actually before day one. Russian interference, absolutely meant to uh, limit or deval- uh, invalidate Donald Trump's election in, in 2016. Then you had the, the Stormy Daniels campaign finance, again, trying to uh, invalidate Donald Trump. And then you have impeachment. The impeachment is an easy argument to overcome. I do that in my impeachment suite. It's all about the National Defense Authorization Act of 2019. All the information is there to refute Adam Schiff's claims. And Adam Schiff knew that because he had, he had to have read the National Defense Authorization Act in order to prosecute Donald Trump for uh, putting at risk national security because it's the language of the NDAA. It's in that in that legislation. So Adam Schiff had to have read that in order to use it. So the, in, the impeachment stuff is easy to overcome. The problem is you can't get to impeachment without overcoming the coronavirus. I think this is a coronavirus, COVID-19-centric uh, election until the coronavirus narrative, the false narrative by the liberal media is put to rest. And that I think, again, is something that can be done, but it's going to take a concerted effort by conservatives. And conservatives, unfortunately, are all focused on defeating the liberal media narrative instead of creating their own narrative. And as I said, in my uh, ebook, false, I mean, yeah, false Narratives, I talk about the media landscape and the fact that when you have such an imbalance in power, when it's so overwhelming, then those who are in that position of power, the liberals, they dictate what narratives are out there. They dictate false narratives because you can't go out there as a conservative and defeat all the false narratives. Liberals can continue to make new ones. Why? There's not enough uh, voice, not enough inertia on the other side, energy on the other side, to defeat all the false narratives. Therefore, the liberal media, given the imbalance in the media landscape today, has that ability to create false narratives at will and protect Democrats and liberals. And so you have to play a different game. You've got to be a little creative. And the creative way is actually to circumvent the liberal narrative completely. Create your own narrative. But it can't be a conservative narrative. Why? Because if you create a conservative narrative, liberals will crush it. It's much harder to crush an objective narrative based on critical reasoning, on root cause analysis. That's very difficult 
to crush. I mean, the points that I've raised here, how easy do you think those are to uh, overcome? They're not. They're just not. The flu, we know the transmission rate is similar to the flu. Well, how do we address the flu? We don't deal, we don't do isolationist policies. Nobody would do isolationist policies. That's asinine. So making that simple leap there, that changes the course of the, of the dialogue. That can change how we perceive the coronavirus. And again, it comes down to you have to defeat the coronavirus narrative in order to control the energy, in order to get to other topics. And that is the challenge for Donald Trump. I don't know how he's going to change the narrative. And I don't think his talking points, he can talk about Burisma and Joe Biden's malfeasance with regard to Burisma. Remember, Joe Biden, you know, on a stage before a live audience with TV cameras came out and said, I forced the Ukrainian president, Petro Poroshenko, to fire Viktor Shokin, his state prosecutor, because I was going to withhold $1 billion in secured U.S. loans. This is something that he has said. Why did he do that? To protect his son, Hunter Biden, because Viktor Shokin was supposedly looking into Burisma, the company that Hunter Biden was on the board of, making good money being on the board of. And, of course, he was on the board for influence. Absolutely. Nobody, nobody should think otherwise about that. But you, Donald Trump is going to have that talking point, but it's going to be shot down. It's going to be shot down because this is a COVID-19-centric world. In order to get oxygen, so you can have these different talking points come to the floor. means that you've got to get rid of the liberal narrative, liberal media's narrative. You've got to defeat it. And the way to defeat it is to circumvent it. Don't try to defeat their talking points because they'll just morph. They will just morph. And isolationist policies do work for viruses such as SARS, which is a coronavirus, and Ebola. Okay? But those are pathogens with specific characteristics and where I would approach it through isolation. The problem-solving approach would say isolation was the best approach. The vaccine's not the best approach in this case. Why? Well, it depends on how the vaccine's created. If it's a dead uh, pathogen, or if it's a live specimen. If it's a live specimen, I don't want anybody to get infected with Ebola. I don't care how uh, diluted that virus strain is. If it represents a risk, I wouldn't do that because I, I can isolate that pathogen to death, or at least out of the population. And so you get into this, this uh, debate with liberals, they're going to bring up isolation works, and they're going to be right, and you have to admit that. And it writes, but it works, but only for certain pathogens. So how do you go forward with all this? How does Donald Trump go forward with all this? I mean, I think hiring uh, Scott Adams was a much better choice than, than Fauci. I think Fauci is continuing to promote his isolationist uh, theories, which don't work. I mean, we look at when you put a problem solution forward, it's got to satisfy all the constraints. And we look at What's taking place on college campuses today? Talked about this last week. 20-something-year-olds, what are they going to do? They're going to behave like 20-something-year-olds. That means a high-risk behavior. Not every 20-something-year-old, but enough that you're going to have outbreaks of coronavirus on college campuses. Oh, my God, what do you got? Outbreaks of coronavirus on college campuses. Yes, but we shouldn't be afraid of that. Because if we truly understand the problem, 
herd immunity is the only way forward to protect the most vulnerable population in our society. So you need infections. You get back to our own state. The Oompa Loompa has punished restaurants because you haven't eliminated the coronavirus. You can't. It's an impossibility. Why? It behaves like the flu. And oh, by the way, I don't think the flu dies because of summer heat. I think that has been a misperception that people just have carried forward for years after years. I think this coronavirus may change that attitude. And I guarantee it, folks. There are epidemiologists out there who have been claiming this from forever, that the flu is likely being eliminated from the population due to herd immunity. And then we get back to what level of, of herd immunity do you need to eliminate a pathogen from society, a flu-like pathogen. And I don't mean flu-like in the sense that the coronavirus and flu are the same type of strains. I mean that the type of transmission rate. And when we look at all this stuff, I have an article on that. It's the 15% rule. When you look at the data regarding the flu every year, you're looking at less than 25%, 15, 20, 15% of the population contracting the flu And that's enough to eliminate the flu. Oh, by the way, when the summer months come around, it's just coincidental. It's not causal. I talk about that in the coronavirus suite. So I take on on all these different aspects to give you a rich understanding of the problem because I think that that's what needs to take place. We need to trust you, the public, with the information so you can make good decisions. If I thought that the best decision was isolation, I would... I'd promote it. I simply would, even though I know it's going to damage the economy. I would promote that. But it's not the best solution. And it's being proven time and time again that you can't isolate this virus to death. Again, the college campuses, you look at how many uh, outbreaks there are. Colleges are now having to rethink whether or not they're going to have in-class lectures because, well, they got outbreaks. And they're going to continue to have outbreaks. Because 20-something-year-olds are going to act like 20-something-year-olds. It was just on the news the other day, the Wuhan, there was a pool party at Wuhan province in China, the epicenter of COVID-19. So 20-something-year-olds are the same around the globe. They don't behave as if, oh, got to be protective. They just behave as 20, 20-something-year-olds. They have high-risk behavior. Well, when you have a pathogen that has the level of transmission rate of the coronavirus or the flu, that means you're going to get a spread of the virus. And here's the, the, the other lie that has been told. And I've, just, I've mentioned this earlier. The vaccine largely or probably will not be allowed to be used on the most vulnerable population. They will not be able to be immunized. Therefore, we must pursue herd immunity. And here's the other lie with isolation. If we had started this back in March, if we had not been driven into panic by the liberal media, if we had accepted that this is a more flu-like pathogen than SARS or Ebola, then we should have pursued herd immunity from the get-go. Well, if we'd done that, could we be over the hump by now? Probably. That's that's the most likely scenario. That's probably what would have happened. And you got, you know, over 5 million cases we should be calling them infections. Uh, so you got over 5 million. The CDC says that it's underreported by an order of magnitude. So 10 times that, that's 50 million, 50 million plus. Well, when you look at the flu, 
you're getting close to what the flu dies out at, what starves the virus into death, that herd immunity, that level of, of population. And again, this is not a medical issue, folks. So you may want to be taking information for only medical practitioners. This is not, that's not what this is. This is a statistical population study. This is problem solving. This is an engineering endeavor. If you understand the statistics of this, you understand how you're looking at uh, null nodes, is what you'd call them. Those nodes in the population that are no longer reactive, can't be infected, therefore they can't transmit either. Those null nodes, how many do you need? You're probably looking at 15, 20%. Are we almost there? Maybe. Maybe we're pretty close to that. But you know what this isolationist has done? Isolationist policies. They've not allowed the free travel of this pathogen. Therefore, we haven't eliminated the virus. We just postponed it. And then we're hoping that a vaccine is going to take it out. And, and again, we get back to herd immunity. This is the moronic aspect of the isolationist policies. But it's also an opportunity. You know, problems, they come in all sorts. But there's always an opportunity with a problem. What is the opportunity here? The liberal media has lied. In that lie, they've created a panic. They've created a fear. Well, that means that they've created a crisis, which with it comes energy. Don't know where that energy can be directed. But because it's a lie, it's all predicated on a lie. If you can flip the lie, that energy is directed at those who betrayed society. And who are those who betrayed society? Liberals. Democrats. So Donald Trump can take, can take control of the energy by flipping the narrative and explaining to the public. Now, he's not going to be able to get through that with the liberal media. It's going to have to really come probably, I believe, from conservative pundits. It's going to have to be a unified front to address the coronavirus narrative by circumventing the liberal narrative and going to a neutral narrative. A one that's built on problem solving. If you can do that, you neuter the liberal media's arguments. If you do that, that energy, I guarantee where that energy will go. At that point, I could tell you where the energy is going to go. Because if the population, the general population, understands they've been lied to, that they've been betrayed, that they, they've been driven into fear for an agenda, that energy will be directed in only one direction. It won't be a down power line which goes flipping every which what way. It will be a lightning rod that goes right to one particular target, and that target would be liberals, Democrats. And again, I believe that you have to get rid of the liberal media's, sorry about that, liberal media's narrative in order to have a discussion about anything. Donald Trump's got accomplishments. Can he tout those in a COVID-19-centric uh, world? I don't think so. I don't think that he gets above that noise, that clutter. I, I think the liberal media will su uh, sequester his uh, arguments. They will they suppress his arguments, and they will only talk about coronavirus, and they will try to blame him for what's taking place. And an uninformed consumer, it's anybody's guess where that energy will go. Will they believe continue to believe the liberal media's false narrative, you've got to work to destroy it. If you don't destroy it, then there's no air for any other discussion, any other point. 
I mean, even Yelp, when they say 73,000 businesses have permanently shuttered because of the coronavirus. Well, it's not the coronavirus. Another article on my coronavirus suite. It's not the coronavirus. The coronavirus has done nothing. It's the policies implemented by politicians for political reasons. You make people aware of that. You point that out and you get traction with that. There's nowhere that Democrats can hide. Nowhere that the liberal media can hide. And that opens a door to the other suite that I have on my website, the impeachment suite. When you start to look at the one lie, and then you look at the second lie, what that does is it reinforces the fact that the public has been lied to repeatedly. And that's the malfeasance on the part of the liberal media. That the impeachment uh, that Donald Trump underwent, the abuse of power, in fact, the National Defense Authorization Act of 2019 spelled out the DOD should never have requested the funds for the security, uh, the Ukrainian security in, uh, initiative. They should never have done that because the Ukrainian government under President Zelensky didn't meet the criteria, not, did not meet the demands of our Congress. Our Congress said the civilian government of the Ukraine must demonstrate control over the ministries, especially the defense ministry. Why? We, for the first time, America was going to be supplying Ukrainian military with, with advanced uh, armaments, javelin anti-tank weapons. Of course Congress wanted to make sure that, that those weapons didn't fall into the wrong hands. Of course they wanted to make sure that the uh, ministries were being controlled, that the civilian government, the parliament of the Ukraine was in control of all this, and that the Ukrainian parliament was addressing corruption within the country. Those are two caveats that are in the NDAA of 2019. These are the wishes of Congress, not the wishes of President Trump. Congress demanded these things. Well, the moment that President Zelensky got into office, he disbanded the parliament, the Ukrainian parliament. It means you have no civilian government. It means that you have not met the demands of Congress, our Congress. And I understand why President Zelensky did this. He doesn't want to go forward with his predecessor's government. And guess what? What if the Ukrainian Security Assistance Initiative, the Javelin anti-tank missiles, had gotten into the Ukrainian uh, military. Don't you think the the politicians in the Poroshenko parliament would have touted that as what they had done? That they had accomplished this? That means that Zelensky can't go forward with his reforms. He needs his parliament. So I understand his Requirement. I understand what he did by disbanding that parliament. He couldn't go forward with Petro Poroshenko's parliament. He had to go forward with his parliament on his, you know, platform, on what he believes he was elected to, which was partly to address corruption in Ukraine. And so when they had the new elections in July, that's what he got. He got his parliament. Well, that parliament wasn't seated until late August. So from Late May to late August, the Ukrainian government had not satisfied the requirements demanded by U.S. Congress in the legislation of the National Defense Authorization Act of 2019. And since Donald Trump signed that legislation into law, he's responsible for making sure that law is upheld. But what does he have to do? He has to make sure that the Ukrainian government meets all the criteria, and they didn't. 
They didn't make any of the criteria because the civilian government had been disbanded. It wasn't in session. President Zelensky had, in fact, gotten rid of it. Called for new elections. And that's the right move from him, from his perspective. From our perspective, well, we had to understand there were constraints that Congress put on that aid. In large part because, for the first time, we are supplying uh, high-tech armaments, javelin anti-tank weaponry. Don't want that to fall into the wrong hands. Want to make sure that it, it gets to the right people. And so that's the whole crux of the impeachment stuff. That the law dictated the actions of the U.S. government. The DOD tried to bypass that. The DOD certified that the Ukrainian government was in compliance with Congress's wishes. And there was no parliament. There was no Ukrainian civilian government. So how does the DOD justify that? Because that's just the standard operating procedure in D.C. The OMB rubber stamped it. So they forced Donald Trump, in order, uh, actuality, to intervene. To, in fact, tell the OMB that they got to do their jobs. And their job means that they have to look at the law and say, okay, no, you, you're not entitled to those funds until, and, until the uh, Ukrainian government, the parliament, is seated and demonstrates control over the ministries as well as a commitment to fighting corruption. And it comes all the way back down to the fact that the DOD didn't want to follow procedures, didn't want to follow the law, wanted to do what it wanted to do. And I get back to, when you look at problem solving, I look at the issue of, what triggered my sense on this? Why did I take a different approach than anybody else? Partly because I don't think Donald Trump is, a, uh, is somebody who is an unlawful president. I don't think that he has uh, broken the law. Stretched the, the law, yes, but he's been taken to court, and he's been proven that his judgment has been right. And as far as the DACA you know, executive order, you know, I think that uh, Justice Roberts probably dealing with technicalities was right. In the DACA thing, uh, judgment, the executive branch can't create law. Well, creating DACA was a wrongdoing. That was President Obama. He didn't have the authority to do that. But the people who had standing in the court who should have taken him to, to court were the GOP. Mitch McConnell didn't do it. Sat it on his hands. Wasn't willing to get his hands dirty and go after the, uh, President Obama. When you look at the uh, emergency declaration that Donald Trump pushed through to use uh, military construction funds for the border wall. Democrats had no qualms about taking Donald Trump to court, and that was the right thing to do. Make President Trump prove that he is interpreting the law correctly. So, as I said, how do I, why do I approach things in a little bit different way? I don't think Donald Trump is a wrongdoer. I don't think that he breaks the law. That was my first part. The second part so I was very perplexed with Laura Cooper. I didn't understand her presence in the impeachment inquiry. Absolutely didn't understand it. And so that conflict forced me to look deeper. And then if you look at the impeachment inquiry, you look at all the actors that were brought forth. The only one, the only one that's of importance is Laura Cooper. Everything else is show. It's all political show. It's meaningless, immaterial. The only thing that matters was Laura Cooper. She represented procurement. And when you start to understand, procurement means that there's a time lag between getting the funds and producing the uh, purchase orders. So the Javelin anti-tank missiles, we weren't delivering dollars to the Ukrainian government. We were providing them 
with military supplies. And so it takes time to process, process that. And once I started to get that, I went into the National Defense Authorization Act of 2019, and I looked at what the language was. And the language says the Ukrainian government has to, uh, has to uh, meet certain criteria. And they didn't because President Zelensky, Zelensky had disbanded it, which he should have done. So all the, there's no malfeasance on the part of President Zelensky. There's no malfeasance on the part of Congress until they tried to hold President Trump accountable for meeting their wishes, upholding the law. And so when you get back down to it and you start to understand what the language was of the legislation, then you start to understand that Donald Trump actually upheld the law. Well, can you imagine what a bombshell that would be on the national stage if that got out there? I don't think you can get out there in the current environment, though. I don't think you could present this argument about impeachment on a national stage because the liberal media would not allow it. They would shout you down. They would do whatever they could. Okay, you get into the national spotlight, you got a day. But you don't have any lasting power. That lasting power is going to be about the coronavirus. And who controls it? Liberal media. So when Donald Trump wants to bring up Burisma and Joe Biden's malfeasance there, not going to be able to. Liberal media is going to control the airwaves. They're going to control the, the air, the oxygen in the room. And it's all going to be about the coronavirus. And so that's what I've talked about in the past, about this energy. You've got this energy. You've got this opportunity. If you can flip the isolationist policy narrative of the liberal media, you got a chance of changing the entire media landscape. Not the national media landscape, but the, the local, local TV. You can embarrass them into being uh, advocates for the general populace, for you, the consumer. And this energy, however, until you control it, it's, it's a wild card. How it plays out, we don't know. I don't know. And I'm an environmental scanner, and I'm looking, trying to understand how this energy is going to play out. And I just don't get any true direction of it. I think it is a, a truly a wild card. But it doesn't have to remain a wild card. If the general populace out there it becomes informed about the false narrative of isolation, killing the uh, coronavirus, if the general populace becomes aware of that, you know what you get? You, you, you're going to be able to have your voice. Because at that point, the liberal media is neutered. They will have no voice going forward. Democrats will have no voice going forward. And they shouldn't have one. Because they've misused their position, their power. They are the ones that, who should be damaged by this energy. Because they created it, but they created it to promote an agenda that did not serve the general populace. It was only to serve their needs of getting rid of Donald Trump, of souring the economy. That's why Hillary Clinton didn't enter the Democratic presidential primary. She knew back in December, if conditions remained the way they were, Donald Trump was going to be undefe undefeatable. Just You're not going to be, defeat, be able to defeat the man because of the economy, as well as the other accomplishments that he could lay out there. But then the coronavirus came about. And that coronavirus is going to be the card that liberals are going to continue to play. Why? Because they believe they've got a winning hand. They're going to go all in on this because they've tried in the past and have failed. But you know what their modus is. Get rid of Donald Trump even if you have to lie. The impeachment 
inquiry was a lie, a bold-faced lie. Russian interference is a bold-faced lie. But it doesn't stop them from pursuing that. Why? Because they believe that's their winning hand. They're going to push all their chips in on that. They're going to try to take Donald Trump down, no matter what the cost to the general populace. Well, folks, until next time, remember what you know. Don't get caught up in the history. Tune in this program every Saturday. No agenda, no spin. Think for yourself. You can't trust the media to do that for you. Make a difference. Share with friends, coworkers, and family. And start your own movement. If you like today's program, drop me a line at orbydb at gmail.com. That's orbydb at gmail.com. Let, or let uh, any know through text or an email. It's time to take back the power from the mainstream media. It can only be done by objective reasoning. Mark Twain said it best with, if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read the newspaper, you're misinformed. Folks, you've been tuned into the evil machinations from the irreverent mind of Dan Butterfield. An Occam's Razor with Dan Butterfield, presented by the Kiva, home of high IQ, high IQ Radio, where content is king. We appreciate you taking part in today with Beals. We'll see you next week. And oh, by the way, check out my website, danbutterfield.com. Thanks a lot. Bye for now. <laughs>